Flyers Daily with Jason Mertides. And welcome to your Friday, March 27th edition of Flyers Daily with Jason Mertides. Everybody, thank you so much for listening. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please do so. Just click that RSS feed. If you have not left us a rating, please do that as well. If you have not left us a review, please do that as well. We are keeping the Flyers Daily podcast going. We are in our Monday, Wednesday, Friday format. We are in the midst of player profiles. Uh, if you missed any of the player profiles, you want to go back and listen to them, you can obviously do that as well. Monday, we did the player profile of Scott Lawton, who's having a tremendous season. Uh, Wednesday, we did the player profile of Justin Braun. And today, we will do the player profile of Nicholas Albe Kubel, who's having a tremendous year for the Philadelphia Flyers. Uh, on Monday, Steve Coach joined us in that pop, that preview for Scott Lawton. And on Wednesday, it was Bill Meltzer on Justin Braun. And Tim Saunders will join us for Nicholas Albe Kubel coming up in this episode of Flyers Daily. Real quick, the schedule for next week's episodes of Flyers Daily and our player pro and our player profiles will continue on the docket for next week on Monday, March 30th, your Strulies birthday. Travis Sanheim coming up on Wednesday, April 1st. Yeah, no April Fools here. Carter Hart will do the young goaltender on Wednesday. And then Friday of next week, uh, one of the new additions on the blue line, like Justin Braun, Matt Niskanen. So that'll be next week's player profiles, followed by Travis Konechny, Brian Elliott, and Michael Raffle the week after that. But let's get to our feature guest on this episode. You've been hearing him on Flyers radio broadcast for many, many years. Too many years to mention. And he makes his debut here on Flyers Daily, at least as a guest. We play his highlights from time to time throughout the season, especially when they're good. And they're always good when he's calling the action and the Flyers are doing well. Tim Saunders joins us right now. Tim, how you doing? Oh, I'm all right, Chase. How about you? Well, we're all trying to pass the, you know, pass the calendar, pass time <laughs> while we're stuck inside and with no hockey. It's been tough. Yeah, it's been a little depressing. I mean, it's hard to keep uh, positive uh, thoughts going. Um, I, I kind of like the fact that the NHL is uh, is not jumping ahead with uh, drop dead dates and and they're keeping everything on the table. And I think they have made clear their hope is to award the cup this year. So as long as they have hope, I guess the rest of us can. Yeah. And before we actually get into the player profiles, and we're going to get into a player profile on Nicholas Albay-Kubel in a moment. But before we get to that, I wanted to hit you on a couple of things. Um, some of the some of the news that's come out, and obviously, you know, everybody's kind of anticipating the back to hockey or you know back to normalcy, and the NHL, as you mentioned, Tim is considering all the different con- scenarios and contingencies, and you know, not not putting any timetable down. Um, but I'm wondering what you prefer. You know, we've heard of a 24 team playoff field where a team like Chicago and Montreal would get in, and they're not under 500. Uh, we talked about maybe resuming the remainder of this regular season after a short training camp. We've heard about just leaving it as is and going by winning percentage. You know, what, what's the format or what's the way you'd like to see the game come back in an ideal situation? You know, Jace, to be honest with you, I haven't gotten too caught up with all the potential scenarios because there are so many unknowns because we don't mm-hmm. know what the timetable is. And I think. If they're told they can come back, and let's be honest, the NHL is not making this decision. Uh, I think government officials, for the most part, are going to kind of uh, lay that groundwork before any league thinks that it's safe to play. Uh, 
So with those potential dates so unknown and so much up in the air, I, I, I think the reason that the NHL is willing to consider all options is it's going to be goofy. It's not going to be return to normal in any stretch or form. Not this year. If they play at all, they're going to have to get creative given the time that they have left and what agreements that they come to with the PA as, as to how late they can play, how much time is going to be needed, because obviously they're going to need to have some kind of quote-unquote training camp to get back into game shape. So I think everything's in the air, and I'm okay with that. It's going to be weird. It's going to be goofy no matter what it ends up being. And I think bottom line, if we end up playing hockey this year, I think everybody's going to be happy with it. It, it, that's a great point because if you look at this under normal circumstances and maybe playing playoff hockey in July or August or even the September, uh, that would be absurd. But this whole situation's absurd. And when t- absurd times may call for absurd measures. But let me ask you about that because, you know, TSN reported last week on Insider Trading that one of the possibilities that the players actually came up with was starting a training camp in July. Kind of just, hey, let's bunker down. Let's make this our off season. Um, start a training camp in July, finish the regular season, and then have the playoffs in August and September. Have a quick month off to get your draft in, your free agency, and your new league year, and start your new 82-game schedule in November. Um, Bill Daly has uh, spoken to the fact that they think that they could make the ice surfaces playable in August. I don't know how that's possible, maybe in like Tampa with so much humidity, but modern technology. Um, do you think that's something that is feasible, Tim? And, you know, cause the only teams that are going to have a month off are the two teams that make it all the way to the finals and it'll kind of stagger its way back from there. Yeah. None of it's going to be ideal, but, yeah. uh, but, but, but you're right. Um, I, I mean, any scenario is going to be fine and it's going to be out of the ordinary. And if they play into July and August, I think the two things that they've said that I'm kind of encouraged by is one, their genuine hope to award a cup this year. And two, you know, moving forward, they want to do whatever they have to do to protect the integrity of a full season next year. Now, granted, that may be on less time off in between. You could kind of push that schedule a little bit tighter, do away with the with the bye week, um, you know, maybe they do away with an all-star game because the intent is going to be to get all 82 games in. But those are the objectives, and, it, you know, time is going to dictate uh, just how they get that done. Tim, how much of that equation for the full 82 next year is also predicated on Seattle coming in and the CBA? Well... Um, you know, there are some, there's some decisions to be made with the CBA, right? Um, we've got what a year or two left in the CBA, mm-hmm. and this is going to take some negotiating between the players and the, the PA and the league to arrive at whatever it is they are going to do. And so maybe that's the time to negotiate all of it and get an extension to the CBA. I think that's kind of privately what I hope ends up happening because I can't fathom going into a protracted CBA negotiation that could potentially uh, upset another season. I just don't, there's no way they'll let that happen. Yeah. I don't think either side. Yeah. With a a new team coming in with the the Seattle franchise coming in, not this year, but next. And then also, 
you know, going through this COVID-19 pause right now, and we don't even know how they're going to come out of that just yet. And, and if this hasn't taught us all that, hey, life can go on without you. Mm-hmm. Um, I, there's, I just, there's just no way that they would let that happen. I'm saying both the Players Association and the league, I think they have finally have some labor peace between the two. They are a true partnership now, and I suspect that'll continue. So when they negotiate what has to be negotiated to figure out what they're going to do this year and next year, hopefully they can kind of roll that into a CBA extension. Yeah, well, and one of the things that's interesting, because I saw uh, a, an article on Sportsnet uh, regards to maybe they, they put a compliance buyout in and they had the top 11 candidates for a compliance buyout. Not a flyer was on the list. <laughs> that, that, that's, that means you're in a pretty good position, right? All that stuff's going to take care of itself. Um, <laughs> I think we're all in the same position. Let's just get through this and hope that we can play hockey at some point. Yeah, and Tim, that's the other thing. Um, while people, you know, you, you suffer through something like this and you know it's bigger than hockey – there is when the game does return, there's going to be a massive amount of pent up demand, isn't there? Oh gosh, I would, I would think so. Um, I mean, I think everybody has got the same uh, feelings of being, you know, locked in. Uh, It's just a frustrating thing to be looking out your window every day and not really being able to go out and do anything. So um, as soon as we can get back to life as normal, uh, the better. Yeah, Tim, Tim, the one thing, you know, it, it's difficult for players and, and you're in the, the washing machine as a broadcaster who travels on the team plane and travels with the team. You're in the washing machine, you know, lather, rinse, repeat cycle uh, of the NHL season. To have that all of a sudden two weeks and change ago, just all of a sudden stop, really with very little warning, um, tends to throw even your body clock off a little bit, much less for players who are so used to, to the rigidity of a season and you can kind of wind it down if you're not making the playoffs and you know, it's ending, but for it to end that quickly, the way it did, or at least get paused is, is something that's probably hard for the biorhythms of your body to, to kind of accept. Yeah, it was very strange. It was surreal. We were in Tampa, uh, flew the day before as we always do to Tampa. And it was that night, the night before the flyer Tampa game where the NBA called off its season and as shocking as that was, if you took a moment to think about that, it was just a matter of time before that was going to be apparent in every league. And although the NHL wanted to make sure they talked to everybody and came to the right decision, they put the decision off once the NBA did it until one o'clock the next afternoon. But it was pretty clear the next morning that there was not going to be a game and that they were going to have to follow suit. So it was a strange morning because we get up on a typical game day and there's a lot of work that goes into a game day starting at six o'clock in the morning. And you got to do all that work, not knowing if you're going to play or not. It was really weird. Uh, yeah, we were stuck in Tampa, of course, because the team plane or the, the plane that would have brought the team home was not in Tampa. So they had to wait till the following day to get it into Tampa and get the team back home. So it was a, it was a strange deal for everybody. Yeah, that had to be weird flying back on that Friday too, because like you said, you guys stayed the extra day because you were planning to do that to begin with. And then to come back Friday, it just, the whole thing's bizarre. Um, Tim, when you look at um, the team and obviously 
boy, they had really come together. Second spot in the Metropolitan Division, uh, knocking on the door at, at that top spot against Washington and um, how they've come together throughout this year, but still dealing with some injuries of late. We had the James Van Riemsdyk hand injury, uh, the, the Phil Myers injury, and you know, you're dealing with some guys banged up. Um, what teams does it have a chance to help with a pause if they are to return? And the Flyers will get a couple of players back, obviously, but so will other teams like Columbus. Yeah, I'm not sure any team looks at it that way, Jake. I think you're right. There's no team out there that's completely healthy. Everybody's either got guys on the injured list or playing banged up, and the Flyers are no different. So that'll give, I guess, those guys time to heal and and get healthy again. But you know what? I don't think any team is looking at this in any shape or form as a positive thing, yeah. uh, you know, to have time off. So um, I think that all kind of ends up evening out. Yeah. Look at the central though. Those teams are going, Oh man, if we do come back all of a sudden, Colorado's got McKinnon and Ranton and back. <laughs> That's a different club. Yeah. And, and, and you know what? You can never really go by injuries because for a while there, Pittsburgh had a ton of key guys out of their lineup yeah. and they couldn't do anything but win. And then everybody comes back and for a while, they were losing games, so I, I, it can go both ways. Yeah, and the other guy I didn't mention was Nolan Patrick, and we have no idea with the player's inability to even get the facilities right now to, to deal with injuries and everything that comes with it, you know, how, how it's going to play out for, for those guys in their rehabilitation anyway. Um, Tim, let's get to the player profile today. It's Nicholas Albay-Kubel. Boy, um, it, it's hard to believe he's only played 36 games this year. I almost feel like he's played the entire season. Played nine last year, went pointless, but this year has really been a revelation for this Flyers team. They drafted him back in the 2014 NHL entry draft, 48th overall in the second round. But, boy, what has made him, and you've seen him through preseasons and through his development over the years, six years now with the organization, what has made him be able to knock the door down this time and really take advantage of this opportunity so much so that he wouldn't even pass through waivers, I would, I would suspect, at this point? Well, first of all, it's the old adage, and it, it sounds cliche because every team talks about it, but, uh, you know, when players go down to injuries, it is an opportunity for somebody else. And you never hear teams talk much about the guys they don't have. It's always about the guys that are available. And Nick Obey-Kubel is a, a, a great example of a guy that took advantage of the injuries. When Oscar went down, when Scott Lawton went out of the lineup with the groin injury, Aubrey Cubell was given a chance. And to be honest with you, he wasn't playing great in Lehigh. I mean, he wasn't a top-line star that was lighting it up offensively. But what he had done after his first few years of pro is he's figured out the role that he had to adapt to to be successful in pro hockey. You forget that in the Quebec League, he played for Valdor, and he was a high-scoring winger. Uh, in juniors and very often is the case those guys go to pro go to the American League and sometimes that transition from the American League to the or from juniors to the American League can be even more drastic than the AHL to the NHL pro hockey is pro hockey uh, and it took a while for him to figure out what role he could play or would be successful in the, in the pros and it's not as a top line center that's going to score 40 or 50 goals um i think scott gordon helped him tremendously in lehigh and i think the light went on he had a great relationship and, and really seemed to 
take his game to the next level under Elaine Vigneault and the current coaching staff. And he's identified and gotten comfortable in a role that has put him in a position to succeed. He's tenacious, he's physical, and he obviously has scoring hands, hands that can, you know, lead to offense and, and take advantage of chances. But that's not the first part of his game. It's staying in that role of a bottom uh, six forward, in his case, the fourth line forward most recently. And when he stays in that mindset and plays that game with the guys he's surrounded by, uh, he's been pretty successful. Yeah, you know, Tim, you mentioned his career in the queue and really it's his last two years where he became that scorer as he got a bit older and got a little bit more experienced in the Quebec Major Junior League. And you look at what he's accomplished uh, in the NHL now. But, you know, in his four years in the queue, 244 total points, 108 goals in 251 games, just about a point per game player. But is it, is it similar to the situation that uh, a guy like Scott Lawton went through where he had to figure, you know, when you're in junior, a lot of guys can score in junior, and he scored 38 two years in a row, uh, did Aubrey Kubel. But at the NHL level, it's a whole different ball game. Is it, is, is it kind of a Lawton scenario where it's, okay, I'm not going to be that guy at the NHL level. i got to find what my game is, and that might be a simpler game in a checking role. Yeah, I think that's a fair comparison, and it's, it's not unique. I mean, a lot of kids come out of junior hockey – and have to adjust to different roles to be successful in pro hockey. Um, so that's, that's not uh, that unusual a thing. And you're right, Lawton has done the same thing. And the thing they're constantly on Scott Lawton about is remembering that that is the role he's most successful in. You know, a guy has a little success, and then he starts to dangle a little bit and look to create offense when maybe that's not – what's brought him success and you got to kind of hammer into him, stay within your game, stay with what the coach's system is, what they want you to do. And, and the offense will take care of itself. I think that's happened with Scott Lawton and the same is true for Nick Obey Kubel. He's, he's the physicality I think is what has been the key for him and keeping the game simple and, and doing that night in night, night out is what separates a guy like that from a guy like uh, Mikhail Vorobiev. Uh, he's mm. gotten chances too occasionally here, and he hasn't been able to take advantage of them. Uh, he might have one good game or two good games, but then seems to uh, go backwards. And the one thing about Nick Obey-Cubell is he's been consistent, and that's been the key. Yeah, and, a, and a coaching staff loves that when they can throw you out there and they know what they're going to get out of you game in and game out. Tim, prior to the last two games before the pause, which was the Boston loss and the win over the Buffalo Sabres, uh, Nick Albay-Cubell also had a five-game point streak as part of that nine-game uh, win streak for the Philadelphia Flyers. Um, one thing that has stuck out to me, and I wanted to get your thoughts on this, was he seems to have a sneaky shot. I've seen him uh, – score a few goals this year, about three or four that I can remember. I remember one against Columbus against Elvis Merzlikens. I remember one uh, a couple weeks earlier. I'm trying to remember who it was on, but clear-sighted shots that he scored on with a snapshot. Uh, if you're scoring on these goalies in the NHL with clear-sighted shots like that, you're doing, you, you have a pretty lethal shot. Yeah, I think he's got a better shot than you think. And that goes back to his last two years of junior. He proved he can be a goal scorer. He's got the hands. He's got the offensive instincts. Scored 38 goals each of his last two years in juniors. But again, that 
it has to be secondary when you're breaking into the NHL and you're making yeah. that transition to a different role. You've got to hope that that's still going to be there, but those chances aren't going to come if you're not doing all the right things. And that's been the difference for uh, Ovik Ubel is, you know, his consistency to do all the small things, the little things, to work hard, to be tenacious. And when the scoring chances have been there, then maybe he can show that he's got that scoring touch. I think that's true for him. Yeah, you know, the thing about it, too, is his, his goals aren't just throwaway goals a lot of times. They're, they're big momentum swingers. Like that that goal against Columbus was the second when they were down 3-1. to one. Um, And I actually talked to Brian Elliott after I saw him score a couple of those clear studies. I asked him what kind of – what is it about his shot that's a little tricky? Because I just kind of alluded to him that it was tricky. And he says he, he pulls it into his body and lets it go, you know, with the same velocity as if he has it away from his body. And, you know, who's the one guy in the NHL that does that extremely well as, as an elite scorer? That's Austin Matthews, right? It pulls it into his feet and can just still bomb it. And he, he's got you a know, little bit of that in him. I thought Mark Recchi used to do that too. Oh, um, on the but, wing? But it, oh. You know what? We, we always talk about the depth of, of having four lines and that being the difference between a good team and a really a contending team. Uh, that can be the difference in a playoff series. And you consider the guys that he's now been around, playing with Nate Thompson and usually Michael Roffel on that fourth line. And those are veteran guys, good leadership guys that have helped get him comfortable and bring him along. So I think, you know, you got to nod give a nod to the two guys he's been playing with uh, to, to keep them moving along and keep them uh, improving. Yeah, and a player at 23 years of age, uh, to be able to play with uh, guys like Nate Thompson, like Raffle, uh, to have that experience along with them certainly helps the, a young player like him. We're okay with the, uh, the amount of ice time per game at 11 minutes and 17 seconds. Seems fitting for, uh, for what he's, uh, you know, where he's at right now and for that fourth line. Nice. I think for the foreseeable future, that's the role he fills. And as he gets more years in the NHL, maybe that role, maybe the opportunity comes where he gets a chance to move up in the lineup. And that's where those offensive skills might change his role in years to come. Well, Tim, if I would have told you in uh, November that he would have two power play goals and a power play assist and he'd be on PP2 pretty often, you, you would have been stunned. You maybe would have had me checked in. He's seeing power play time, and he's made, and he's well, you know he's cashed in a few times, and and that's that's proof that they yeah. know they recognize he's got those instincts offensively. Yeah, that, see, that's the thing, Tim, is to have a player like Aubrey Kubel, and then to have the coaching staff recognizing the, the situations to put him in uh, for him to have success. That's been why the team's elevated to where it is. It's it's the combination of player depth, depth scoring and a coaching staff knowing how to utilize the talent that he has, is it not? I'm not comparing these two players, so let me say that right off the bat. But remember, when the Flyers acquired John LeClaire from the Montreal Canadiens, he was a bottom six forward in Montreal. Mm. And in time, his skills took over, and he became a much bigger impact scorer in the league. Not necessarily comparing those two players, but it's a, it's a transition that has got to happen. Yeah, and sometimes those uh, bigger body players, it, it does take a little bit longer. Certainly, LeClaire, one of those big bodies, one of the great power forwards of all time uh, for the Philadelphia Flyers. Tim, great stuff on Nicholas Albay-Kubel. Um, I know that uh, you're chomping at the bit to, to do a couple of things. One of them is golf, and the other one is uh, call hockey games. And um, hopefully you'll get to do both of those very soon. Thanks for joining Flyers Daily, and thanks for doing this.
Okay, Jason, anytime, bud. Special thanks to Tim Saunders for joining us on this edition of Flyers Daily for Friday, March 27th. Again, we'll be back Monday with another Flyers Daily week of player profiles. Travis Sanheim on Monday, Carter Hart on Wednesday, and Matt Niskanen a week from today on April 3rd, that Friday. Everybody, have a good, safe weekend. Stay healthy, and we'll talk to you next time on Flyers Daily.